years ago, I heard a, a newspaper, I read a newspaper article and saw it on the news. I was living up in Indiana, I think, at the time, and there was a Houston lady who had five children, and she had just taken their lives, and uh, it was all over the news and trying to figure out why and what happened to this lady, and what they discovered was that she actually had had given birth to five children in five years. And um, you moms are sitting there shaking your head thinking, well, that's enough to send anybody over the edge. And that's what happened to her from what they can gather. She got so depressed and so down and despondent that she just snapped. And whatever was running through her mind at that time, she took the lives of those children. Now, when it comes to the subject of being depressed and the depression that we sometimes face, we need to understand that there are varying degrees when it comes to depression. When I lived up in Indiana, we got a lot of lake effect snow and a lot of clouds over this one little section of Indiana that we lived in. It was constantly cloudy and gloomy. Winters were hard. People even had special lights at their desks and in their homes that were supposed to simulate sunlight just to help them through that time. And after about 10 years, it began to get to me too. I could barely make it through winter, just the, the gloominess of it all. So that, in a sense, was depression. You just get down and despondent and seem like you're in a funk and a cloud is over you all the time, literally and figuratively. But um, I've also had friends who, uh, or at least one in particular that I want to share with you, when we were in Bible college, just a great guy and a great family, and when he got out of college and went into the ministry, after a few years, he took his own life, and so he was struggling with depression. There's a different degree, a dip, different depth to which he had sunk that he would take his own life. But um, when we talk about depression, we're not talking about um, any one particular area. Somebody Sometimes we want to put a, uh, this is real depression, this isn't. Well, you know what? We We use this term for all of this because if you're, immobile, withdrawn, sad, confused, down, to whatever degree that may be, we, we designate that as depression. That's what we call it. Now, the problems that we face are usually the same for everybody. It's usually the response, though, that is different. For example, we all struggle with grief at one time or another. Loss of a loved one, grieving over something, a marriage that has gone under. Um, we, do, we deal with anger. Fear, guilt, shame, all these different emotions that we feel, and we all respond to them in different ways. And it's the response, really, that's the problem. It's not the events that you go through, because that's just part of life. But the way in which you interpret those and go through them and respond to them is usually where we run amok and we end up sinking down into the depths of despair and depression. Now, some people need medical attention, doctor's care, and if you're under a doctor's care, I want to encourage you to continue that. You follow the doctor's orders. But regardless of whether you're in a doctor's care or not, what we're going to be talking about today can help you. So I want you to understand that. This applies to all of us, and whatever depth of despair and depression you find yourself in, or hopelessness, whatever you may be feeling, you need to understand that some of the things that we are talking about here today will be applicable to you and um, your situation, and they can help you if you would begin to apply them. So we're going to be talking about two things today. Number one, I'm going to talk to you about some of the reasons why we struggle with depression. 
And again, I'm not looking at the events that cause you to be in this situation. I'm looking at your response. That's what we're talking about. Our incorrect or unbiblical responses to things that go on in life that cause us to sink down into the depths of depression. And then we're going to talk about some tools that can help us. And that's the application of this. I want to share with you some things that if you can begin to apply them, will help you regardless of your situation. That's what I want you to understand. So wherever you are in your life situation, these uh, tools that I want to give to you can help you. Oddly enough, we're going to be looking at an Old Testament prophet to find the solution to this. We're going to be looking at Elijah. And we're going to be talking about an event that took place in the life of Elijah where God dealt with him during his time of depression despondency, the, the depth to which he had sunk in this, uh, this despair that he was feeling. And it's in that back and forth between him and God and how God dealt with him, what he said to him, what he did for him, that we begin to see the, the tools that if we can grab a hold of these things and begin to apply to our lives, they will indeed help us to get through these times in life. And I want to repeat again, you're all going to go through these times in life. Always, that we are, we are all facing the death of a loved one, pain and suffering, doom and gloom. We're all facing those times as we get older especially. But again, it's the response to those events and how you deal with them that makes the difference. And that's what we're talking about today. Now let me give you a little bit of the background before we jump into this text. Elijah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, at this period in time, Ahab is king of Israel. He's a wicked man. He's married to a wife who's not a, a Jew. Um, she was a foreigner. He's married to her. Her name is Jezebel. And Ahab and Jezebel are horrible monarchs. And he has been chasing around, killing prophets, and he's after Elijah. And Elijah, God tells him, go do this. And so Elijah does it. He meets with Ahab, and he says, bring with you the prophets of Baal, your God that you worship, and we're going to have a contest. And here's what it's going to do. We're going to have a contest. We're going to each build an altar and put on it sacrifices. You sacrifice to God of, of, of our Baal, the God that you worship, and I'll sacrifice to the God of Israel. And whichever one is consumed by fire from heaven, we will then know that's the true God, and that then will become the God of Israel. And so it's a contest. So they do that. And you, you all know the story. They build their altars. And, and, and Elijah is just in rare form. Elijah is having a great time. He's mocking these guys. They go first. They're over there praying out loud and chanting all day long for, God, for Baal to send down fire from heaven and consume their sacrifice. And he's saying, you need to do it louder so that he can hear you. What's the matter with him? Doesn't he have ears? And he's just mocking them. He's having a great time. Then it comes his turn. And he prays for God, and God sends down fire from heaven, consumes the, the sacrifice, the altar, and laps up the water that he'd poured over the altar. Everything is gone. And it says that the people turned on the prophets, and they kill all 450 of them, and Ahab takes off running to go back home. And that's the situation now. And this is, I'll tell you that, because when you see what happens after that, you're going to be puzzled by what happens. But listen, as we begin now in 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 3. He says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. 
So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with you, be it ever so severely, if by, may the gods deal with me ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, by this time tomorrow I'm going to have you killed. And then in the next verse, in verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now, guys, this is one of the most puzzling verses to me in all the Bible. After having come through what he just experienced and what he saw, what he did, what he accomplished, that all of a sudden now he's afraid and he runs for his life after the bold stance that he took there that day, that he would do that. And so this brings us then to the first of the questions of why we struggle with depression. Why we struggle with depression. Here's the first one that I want to share with you. We focus on feelings rather than the truth. We focus on the way we feel about things, the way we interpret things, and rather than focusing on what's really true. Now, we touched on this when we dealt with spiritual warfare a few weeks back. But in this particular situation, fear is what made Elijah run away. And the fact of the matter was he only had one woman that was against him at this point. And she didn't have really the power to do what she claimed that she could do. He had just witnessed a miraculous event by God, which God just protected him and did everything that he told him that he was going to do. And now all of a sudden, Elijah turns tail and runs. Why? Because somehow Elijah had convinced himself in that moment that she was really going to kill him. After just facing down all of these prophets and and Ahab himself, he's now convinced that she's going to kill him. His interpretation of the events and what was transpiring was totally wrong. And he should have known by what took place what the truth really was. That God would take care of him, that God would bring him through this, and that God would not let him be killed. But yet he, he didn't. And guys, we do the same thing because sometimes things happen in life and the way we think about it and then the conclusions that we come to and the way we feel about it causes us to react in ways that are are really not healthy. And we do this quite often. We interpret life and we think about it incorrectly. This is why in Proverbs it says, as a man thinks, so he is. And this is all through Scripture, the importance of guarding the way you think because it is going to affect the way you feel about things and your response then depends on that. And so it's important that you understand and back up for a moment and focus on, well, what's really true here? What's really true in this particular situation? For example, in your life you may be thinking to yourself, well, I just don't feel like God is close. I hear this a lot. I don't feel like God's close. I feel like he's far away from me. So you begin to think it through, and you conclude that God must hate you, that God doesn't care about you anymore. And then all of a sudden, you begin to get down in the dumps. You begin to get all in a funk. You begin to become afraid and begin to wonder where God is and what you did to drive him away. And the truth is, if you back up and look at it, We all go through that period of time where God doesn't feel close. Everybody does that. It has no bearing on the truth or the reality of who you are and the relation that you have with God. You say to yourself, well, I have doubts and questions. Sometimes they just pop into my mind and I I have questions about 
God and salvation and Scripture and all these things. And so you begin to think to yourself, well, if I was really a Christian, I wouldn't have those, those doubts. So I wonder if I'm saved. And then you go down that rabbit hole. And then pretty soon you're, you're worried about it. And that's all you can think about. Oh. And we, we do that. And you've got to back up and say, okay, well then what is the real truth here? What does the Bible say? And my feelings and the truth are contrary. You may be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed at work. I'm overwhelmed in this marriage. I'm overwhelmed being a parent. I'm just overwhelmed and there's no way out. And so you withdraw and you give up. You do things and you make decisions that are life-altering. And you shouldn't do that because truth is different from sometimes, most of the time, the way we feel. So if I'm going to encourage you to do something, I'm going to, first of all, encourage you to understand everybody has their own interpretation of what happens to them in life. We all do. Whatever we're going through, whatever we're feeling at the time, and we react on that. You've got to back up and ask yourself, is what I am interpreting here really true? And I've got to come to that conclusion and find that out for myself. So I ask you then, my challenge to you is that you focus on the truth and not just the way you feel about what's going on because your feelings will mislead you. Here's the second thing that I want to talk about is in answering the question why we struggle with depression, and that is this, that we compare ourselves to other people. We compare ourselves to other people. Now watch this this passage now. All of these points are coming out of the passage. In verses 3 and 4 of uh, chapter 19, it says this, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he, was, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush, he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. He said, I'm no better than my ancestors. Now, this is depression. He said, he's come to the conclusion, I would rather sit down here and die than to keep on going through this. I don't want to run anymore. But what I want you to see is the last statement. He says, I'm no better than my ancestors. Now, that's a little bit revealing about Elijah because somewhere along the line, Elijah had the idea that God's called me to do something, which was basically to bring Israel back to him. Call Israel back to righteousness and worship of the one true God. That's your job because the kings have taken them away from me. And so he looked and he thought about it and he said, You know what? Nobody, none of the prophets in the past have had success doing this. But God has called me to do it and I'm going to do it. So he goes and he does it. He makes his attempt. He does what God tells him to do. And it didn't work out. Because even though on that day the people took the lives of those evil prophets and turned against them, the nation still was pagan and wasn't coming back. And when he looked at that, he thought to himself, I'm no better than the ancestors who went before me. Now guys, we do this quite often. We compare ourselves to other people and we get down in the dumps because we don't measure up. And you've got to understand something, that everybody is unique. Everybody's different. And God has called us, and God has gifted us, and God is using us in different ways. He's put you in a situation in life. 
that may be quite different than somebody else's. Everyone is unique, and what you have to do is to just be yourself. Stop trying to be like another believer. Now, I want to share with you real quick, and these won't appear on the screen, but there are three things that we do wrong, three mistakes we make when we compare ourselves to other people. And I'll listen to see if you do this, okay? Here's the first one. We usually compare our weaknesses to their strengths. We compare our weaknesses to their strengths. Look at that person over there and what they, are do, what they do for God. Look at their family. Look at their marriage. It is perfect and mine isn't. And I'm comparing my weaknesses to their strengths, or at least what I see. And that's not accurate because what you always see is probably not always true. People struggle. They just don't let you know it. Here's the second mistake we make is we try to motivate ourselves by condemning ourselves. We think to ourselves, if I can just motivate myself enough, I can change. And so here's what happens. You sit down at the table. You're trying to lose weight. You sit down at the table and you eat too much. Then you push back and you say to yourself, I'm just a pig. Why did I do that? I hate myself for doing that. And you begin to condemn yourself. And you think if you can condemn yourself enough, you'll be motivated to do the right thing. And that never works because the more you condemn yourself, the more you just sink down the rabbit hole. There's one other way, and that is that we label ourselves. We put labels on ourselves. I'm totally worthless. I'm no good. I'm a failure. Nobody can love me. We just convince ourselves of these things. And none of these things are true and none of these things should be told or believed. Because you are unique, warts and all, you are unique and you are special. And God says to you, you're the one I love, you're the one I've chosen, you're my child and I want to use you and I want to bless you. And why don't you believe that? So stop comparing yourself to other people because that will not ever help you. We look at the good things and the good examples of other servants of Christ and we think, you know what, I want to aspire to be like that. And that's a good thing. But you can't compare yourself to them because you will always come out on the short end of the stick because you will not do it correctly. You won't compare correctly. We just don't. So let's don't do that. Here's the third thing that we do that causes us trouble and that is that we blame ourselves for everything that happens in our lives. We blame ourselves for every negative thing that happens in life. Let me show you. It goes down to verse 10. And it just says that he replied. Now, we'll, pick this, we'll talk about this verse a little bit later, more in a, in a moment. But he says, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. Now watch this. He said, look, Lord, I have been zealous for you. I have done everything that I can. And they still want to kill your prophets, tear down your altars, and everything else. I failed. Basically is what he's saying. I have failed. You gave me the job to do. I went and did it, and the response wasn't what it should have been. I'm a failure. And he's blaming, blaming himself for everything. Now, here's the point. Now, here's the truth, okay? Here's where you look at the truth compared to the lie you're telling yourself. The truth is God said, go and do this, and he went and he did it. God never said, you're going to turn Israel back to me. 
God said, just be obedient and go do what I tell you to do. And you know what? Elijah was faithful in doing that. You know something? People are not going to always respond correctly to the things that we want them to do. You may have a rebellious youth on your hands and you've done everything that you can possibly think of to make the change, to bring them around, to help them. And you know what? In the end, they're going to have to make a decision for themselves. And we don't like that as parents because up until this point, we've always had control. But people are going to make decisions. People, they do things that don't always fall in line with what we want. Can't blame yourself. Now granted, there's probably enough blame to go around. And if you have blame in this situation, then own it. But ultimately, they're going to have to decide. The divorce probably wasn't all your fault, but yet you think it was. You've convinced yourself that you were at fault, you're to blame, you've messed up, nobody can love you, God won't love you, you'll always be a second-class Christian. And nothing can be further from the truth. Is there blame to go around? Yeah. And if, it's on, if you have some, then own it, confess it, deal with it. But don't take all of that blame upon yourself. The list could go on and on about examples where we blame ourselves for every negative thing that happens in life. And then we wonder why we struggle with being down and depressed and gloomy. Why? God never did it. God doesn't blame you for everything that goes wrong in life. And we shouldn't do it to ourselves. Here's the fourth mistake we make, and that is that we exaggerate the negative. We exaggerate things when we're down like this, and it just makes it worse. Now watch. I want to read verse 10 to you, but I'm going to read the whole thing this time. It says that he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I'm the only one left. Now in his mind, he has imagined that based on what just took place that I am the only believer left in the whole nation of Israel, the only one that worships you, Lord. They're all dead. It's either that or he's thinking, oh, I'm the only prophet left. I tend to believe it's, he's looking at it as a believer. The truth of the matter is this. You go down to verse 18. And this is what God tells him. He says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. And he goes through all of this discussion with Elijah. Then he says, and here's the part you don't understand. He says, in reality, you're not the only one. There are 7,000 just here in Israel that have never worshipped Baal that are true to me. Because you see, Elijah, you're building up in your mind and imagining things that aren't true. And guys, we do the same thing. We will dwell on things that are negative and convince ourselves of things that are not true. How many times has a young teenage girl looked into the mirror to tell herself that she's ugly? That nobody would want to date her? You exaggerate the negative things that you see in the mirror. 
and you get down on yourself and one thing leads to another and it just spirals downward and downward. That's not true. How many times have you, have you exaggerated about your job or your health or your past and you begin to blow things up in your mind that just aren't true, they're not real? One of the things that we do that causes us to sink down into this depth of depression is that we exaggerate the things that happen in our lives. We exaggerate those negative things and we blow them all out of proportion. And then we respond to it, see? We respond by the way we live. And so we live like defeated Christians all the time because in our minds we have believed the lies and not the truth. And what we've talked about here a few weeks ago is that you've got to believe what's true. This is why the Paul, Paul talked about, I think it was in Philippians, he said, whatever things are true, whatever things are right, pretty, you know, beautiful, uh, all these things, he said, believe those things. Think about those things. Why do we get depressed? Because we let our feelings control us. We compare ourselves to other people. We blame ourselves for everything that happens in our lives, and we exaggerate the negative. These are the things that we see out of this story. There are other reasons. This is not an exhaustive list, okay? But just out of this story. Now let's talk about some of the tools to help us. What can we begin to apply to our lives? What can we begin to believe or whatever that will, that's going to help us to not sink down into this rabbit hole of depression? Well, here's the first one. It may seem kind of odd to you, but here is a beautiful example of it in this passage. If you're dealing with depression, Here's the number one thing I'll tell you. You've got to take care of yourself physically. You've got to take care of yourself physically. Now, guys, watch this because this is a beautiful expression of God's care for Elijah. Watch what he does. It says in chapter 19, verses 5 through 8, we're going back to when he's running now. It says he came to the broom bush, and then he says that he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Now, he's exhausted. This man, physically and emotionally, he is drained. All at once, an angel touched him, and he said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he laid back down again. He's still exhausted. He's eaten. He's drank. The angel had prepared it for him. He lays back down and he goes back to sleep again. A period of time passes. Verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and he said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. God is dealing with his prophet so tenderly. Elijah, you've got to get up, man. You've got to take care of yourself. Here's food for you. Here's water for you. He ate. He drank. He slept. Get up and do it again. You still need your strength. Before, because this journey where you're going on, and remember, God didn't tell him to take this journey, but God knows where he's going. He said, it's a long journey. You're going to need to be physically fit for this. And he did. Physical exhaustion 
is one of those things that just fuels your depression. It just fuels it. What are your physical needs? Let's think for a moment. Maybe in your situation you need to see your doctor. How long are you going to make an excuse for that? If you're sinking down and depressed, then go see the doctor. Your diet. What are you eating? Let me share something with you, ladies. Chocolate is not a food group, okay? Uh, We get depressed. We just want to pull the covers up, watch TV, and eat chocolate. That won't work. In the end, it's going to hurt you. In the end, it's going to make you feel worse. Exercise. You know, sometimes I will find myself getting kind of down over something, and I'll go in and jump on this bike, this stationary bike. I'll get on it and ride it. I need to ride it more, but I don't. But when I'm down, I do. And believe me, it helps. I know all about endorphins and getting those things flowing, so it, it helps. How are you sleeping? How are you resting? Maybe you need a vacation. All of this. All of this is in, plays into your physical needs. And you've got to take care of that. So if I'm going to say, okay, listen, you need something to help you out of this, then that's the first place you begin is with your physical needs. Here's the second thing that we're going to learn from this passage, and that is this, that you need to be honest with God. You need to be honest with the Lord. Now, here's what I mean by this. Whatever's going on, you need to express it to God. You need to verbally say what you're feeling. Now, I've told you this before, and I'm going to tell you again in a moment why this is important. But you need to express the feelings. You need to express the fears, the doubts, the uncertainty. If I'm depressed, don't think that good Christians aren't depressed. Admit it. God, I'm here. This is where I'm feeling now. And you need to be honest with God. Now, watch this passage. We're going to read again the same verse we read earlier, but 19... Verses 9 and 10. Listen. It says then, talking about Elijah, he reaches the mountain. He goes into a cave. He says, then he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. And here's the word of the Lord. Watch. What are you doing here, Elijah? I could just imagine. The Lord has let him run for 40 days. He has run all the way to the other end of the nation. He's hiding out in the cave now. And the Lord says, okay, you finally reached your journey. It's come to an end. Now let me ask you this. What are you doing here, man? What's the problem? What is it you're afraid of? And here's where he says, I've already read it ahead of time for you, but I want to read it again in verse 10. He said, here's the problem. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed, put your prophets to death with a sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. In other words, I'm disgusted, I'm disillusioned, I'm hurt, and I'm afraid. God, I've done everything you asked me to do, and none of it's worked. And right now I'm just scared. Here's the beauty of this. God just lets him vent. God just listens. God listens to everything that he has to say, and I'm sure there was more than just what is recorded here in this one verse. And I don't know what all God said to him at that point and how that transpired, but God just let him vent. 
Guys, you and I need to be honest about what's going on with our, our lives. We need to, we need to be, there needs to be a regular accounting before God. That, okay, Lord, this is, this is what I'm really scared of. This is, this is what I really I want, and I, I, I'm not getting it. This is what I need. You know, Elijah ran the gamut of emotions. Think about this. Fear, resentment. I think he was mad at God a little bit. You sent me on this wild goose chase and it didn't work. How many of us have ever felt that? His own self-image. I thought I was your man. Now I find I'm just a failure. Guilt. Yeah, guilt. Anger. Yeah. Loneliness. Worrying about what's going to happen. Everything that you and I feel, Elijah felt. And Elijah's telling God all about it. And if you want to know what helped him get back on the road to normalcy again, then I believe this is a very important part of it. And I really want to encourage you that you get into the habit of telling God just exactly what you feel. You know, the Bible says, Jesus said, come and tell me, I'll lay your burdens on me. Give me all your burdens, you know, let me share them. Well, yet we don't do that because, you see, to us, if we say we're struggling with believing him, it makes us sound like inferior Christians. If we say that I am struggling with my faith, I'm struggling with my thought life, I'm struggling with whatever, then... I don't want anybody to know that, but the problem is God already knows it. See, God knew where he was headed to begin with. A pastor said one time, and I really, this caught my attention. He said, your thoughts untangle themselves when they pass between your lips. Now think about that. Sometimes we, we don't verbalize what we're feeling and what we want and what we're afraid of. and It's the verbalizing of, of what's in here that it kind of clarifies it all. Now, if you haven't done this, do this, okay? Um, you get into your prayer time sometime and you just open up and really be honest with God. If you're mad at God, then you tell him, say, God, I'm mad at you and here's the reason why. Now, it does a couple of things, okay? It gets out and lets you hear what's really going on inside. It sometimes makes you understand just how foolish you sound because when you say it, it really sounds foolish sometimes. But that's okay. God understands. But it clarifies and helps you clarify what it is that's really going on in here. That, God, I'm scared. God, I'm lonely. And I'm confused. And Lord, I'm really feeling guilty because I did this and I'm ashamed of it, whatever it may be. But just be honest because God already knows. And the whole thing about confession, when you get into the Bible, the whole thing about confession is not to inform God. He already knows. The whole thing about confession is that God wants to see that you understand, that you get it. And so the verbalizing and the confessing to God is very important. Here's the third thing that I want to give you to help you out very quickly. And that is to spend time with God. Now, these two go together, and I almost made them one, but I didn't. I want you to get into the habit of being honest 
But I want you to understand that you're going to have to set aside time to be with God. Now here, here I'm not talking about just a time for Bible study. I mean, that's, that's important, but I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you being alone with God and you just being quiet before the Lord and letting God love on you. Letting God reassure you. You see, this is the thing about with Elijah. He was alone with God in the cave, and God then began to minister to him. And so there needs to be a time where you allow God to comfort you. It it may be during your reading time, but by and large, it's going to be when you're just sitting quietly and listening to what God says. And believe me, we've talked about this before. The Spirit of God living in you bears witness with your spirit. God speaks to you through his Spirit in you, and ideas and thoughts and emotions begin to flow. Let me read you this passage. Chapter 19. Now this is, this is to me, remarkable. Um, and please understand what's going on here, okay? Chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. Now he's in the cave, okay? The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. In other words, I'm going to show you something. You know, he's poured out his heart to God. Now God says, come on, come out here to the mouth of the cave. I want to show you something. Now I believe he went out there. Now you can see this in the text, okay? I believe when all this started, I'm going to show you, I believe he ran back in the cave. Now watch. He says, come out here and watch, for the Lord is going to pass by. He says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Now watch, see that? He wasn't there. I think the earthquake hit and he ran back in the cave. God's, the rocks are falling, the wind is blowing. It is, it is a terrific sight to see. And he was so afraid that he ran back into the cave. And all of that says God wasn't really in that. He, or he, did, he, was, he did it, but he wasn't, that wasn't what he wanted to show him. He just wanted to say, okay, listen. Listen. I'm going to talk to you now. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? What is it that you are going through? What do you need? Because I've heard you tell me what's going on in your heart. And now I have shown you something. Elijah, I'm still on the throne. I'm still God. And I know that you're scared. And I know that you're lonely. And I know that you're afraid of everything and all of this stuff is running through your mind and your thought life. But you need to understand just who I am. So why are you here? I can imagine, at least this is what God intended, that he and the Lord are still talking. And Elijah is humbled and probably falls to his knees and says, God, you are right. I have been believing things that are not true because now I see that you are God. 
and then, Lord, you can take care of me. And you can guide me. You can protect me. You can fill all the voids in my life. And, Lord, you're all I need. And that brings us then to the last point of what you do to get out of this. And that is that you get busy. Because in the next couple of verses, here's what it says in verses 15 through 17. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Now think about this. This is another 40-day trip. And go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshai king over Israel. And anoint Elijah son of Shaphat from Abel-Meloah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Now, this seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Here's a man broken. Here's a man in, in, in total despondency. He is at depression. He's at his wits end. He's had enough, and God says, okay, we've talked. I've reassured you that I'm here. Now, here's what you need to do is get up. There's work to be done. You see, here's the problem with us when we sink into depression is we quit. We withdraw to the couch or to the bed and to the front of the TV and we eat the chocolate and we just struggle through and we don't, we don't hardly even open the shades sometimes and we don't even answer the phone because we're so down. And God says, well, that's just going to make it worse. And so I want to challenge you that you don't just sit home in the dark, but that you get busy. And whatever it takes, go about your normal routine, your normal life. Get back to normal life as quickly as you can. You're talking to God on a regular basis. You're spending time with the Lord. You are, uh, you're being honest, and you're getting to work and doing what God has called you to do. And you're taking care of yourself physically. If you want to defeat this, funk that you're in. If you want to get past it, this is how God dealt with his prophet. And if you can apply these things, then they're going to help you tremendously. So my encouragement to you is that you do just that. And that you walk with the Lord the way that God wants you to. Very quickly, let me read you this one last verse. If you are here this morning and you do not know Christ as your Savior, here's a verse that I want to leave you with. In John chapter 6, verse 47, listen to it. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. The one who believes already has eternal life. You know what's unique about that verse? Listen, just two minutes, okay? A lot of us think that eternal life is something that you figure out if you got it when you die. In other words, eternal life kicks in at death. It's like a, a guarantee, you know, it kicks in at death. And so you don't really know if you got it until you die. That's not what the text says. The text says that whosoever believes in him has it now. It's eternal. And it began the moment you put your faith in Christ. If you have eternal life, when does it end? Well, never. That's right. You've got it now. That's the beauty of salvation. You want to know why Christians get excited about Jesus Christ? That's the reason why. Because we have it now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we bow before you this morning, 
Lord, we are overwhelmed with the reality that life just kicks us in the teeth sometimes. Things don't go our way, and we have a tendency to respond in an unbiblical manner because that's who we are. We're, we're part of a fallen world, and Lord, we don't, always, we don't always take you at your word. We don't always respond properly. Father, our prayer is that we would begin to take to heart the things we've looked at today. And that, Father, we would begin to respond in a biblical manner to the events of life. That we may not sink into the depths of despair. Because the God we serve, the God who loves us, the God who sent his son to die for us, is God. And, Lord, you are real. May we live life with that understanding. And may our confidence always be strong. Father, I pray that we would always believe the truth and not the lie. In Jesus' name, amen.